You know, Tana and I have been privileged in recent years to visit Israel. I'll never forget our first trip way back in 2005. We met one of my college roommates who had planted a church in the Arab quarter of Jerusalem. He drove us around showing us the sites. We visited visited Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth. We drove through Nazareth where he was raised. We visited Capernaum, the, the base of his Galilean ministry, a short drive, and we saw the Mount of the Beatitudes where Jesus gave that Sermon on the Mount. We visited Jerusalem where we walked the famed Via Dolorosa and the Stations of the Cross. We saw the Pool of Bethesda or uh, Bethsaida where Jesus healed the man lame for 38 years. We saw the Pool of Siloam uh, where He healed the man blind from birth. We ate at, the, uh, at a restaurant atop the Mount of Olives uh, where we had a great view of the Kidron Valley, the Temple Mount, and the uh, till now sealed Eastern Gate. It will one day open. We visited what is thought to be the Garden of Gethsemane containing olive trees, it is said, over 2,000 years old. Think about that a moment. We stayed in the Jerusalem Hotel right across the street from what, was thought, what is thought to be Golgotha, the place of the skull, the Mount of Crucifixion, and then we visited the Garden Tomb. We don't actually know if it was the tomb where Jesus was buried, but it was certainly one like it, and there are many interesting facts about this particular tomb pointing to the strong possibility that it was the place of his burial, to include the fact, interestingly, there, is no, there are no DNA remains on that stone since, you see, Jesus was raised from the dead and his body was not left to decay. It was a great trip. At one point, we were driving from Jericho to the east of Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem. You always ascend to go to Jerusalem. Uh, we were in the area of Bethany, and we saw a sign which supposedly marked the grave where Lazarus was buried, well, at least for four days. I, I wanted to stop, but our guide, my roommate, just chuckled. He stopped long enough to let me take this picture. Um, but then said, uh, Scott, it is a well-known um, fact that a Muslim, realizing rich Americans would pay to see Lazarus's tomb, found a cave in the area of Bethany, posted a sign, and he would be happy to take your money. Well, regardless of the actual site of that empty tomb, I want to talk about this familiar story on Easter Sunday, actually the the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I, I want you to visit the site with me and be amazed with Jesus. You see, that's why that story is here. So that seeing this, this last miracle, the, the seventh of seven miracles recorded by John in the book, you will be impressed with Jesus more. I want you with me to believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and by the way, I'd be happy to sell you copies of this picture for a mere 10 bucks each. <laughs> Let's begin um, reading the story. It's found in John chapter 11. It stretches all the way uh, from verse 1 to verse 44, so we've got a lot to cover today. Let's begin by reading the first 16 um, verses, which read, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and uh, her sister Martha. 
It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the light uh, or in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. (laughs) The disciples uh, then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. These verses set the stage for an amazing miracle. We're going to outline the chapter like this. We're going to see the death of Lazarus, which we just read. We're going to see the meeting with Martha, the meeting with Mary, and then, incredibly, the resurrection of Lazarus. Let's begin with that first point, the death of Lazarus. The last time that Jesus was in Jerusalem, He claimed, this is the end of of chapter 10, John chapter 10, He claimed to be one with the Father... (laughs) which slightly irritated the religious leaders. So they picked up stones to try and stone him. Jesus eluded their grasp, and he and his disciples then made their way across uh, the Jordan to the area where John the Baptist was um, first baptizing, likely where Jesus was baptized. It's now only a few weeks, more likely a few days, until the events of Passion Week begin to unfold, beginning with that triumphal entry that we looked at last week. That is in John chapter 12. Jesus is teaching. He's still performing miracles, and many were believing in Him. But but John tells us there was a certain man, Lazarus by name, Lazarus of Bethany, who was sick. Now, Lazarus is only mentioned in chapters 11 and, and 12 of John. We find that he was the brother of Mary and Martha, who we first met in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus visited their home. You you know that story. That's where Martha is busy preparing a a meal while Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. Lazarus isn't even mentioned in that story. Bethany, by the way, is a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. Uh, That's an important point. It's less than two miles from the city where they had recently tried to take Jesus' life. Then we read the additional detail that Mary is the one who anointed um, Jesus. This is also in John chapter 12, uh, with anointment, wiped his feet with her hair, anointing him for burial. Lazarus is sick. So the, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. 
Now, notice they don't ask him to come. Perhaps they recognize that it would be dangerous for him to do so, but, but they do appeal to his love for Lazarus uh, as reason to believe that Jesus might do something about this illness. Uh, you would expect Jesus to jump on the fastest camel around and hightail it to Bethany. Or, or maybe he'd just do another healing from a distance, uh, kind of like the nobleman's son, son back, in, back in John chapter 4. Instead, instead, we read these enigmatic words in verse 5, this sickness, Jesus speaking, is not to end in death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Well, okay, we're, we're fine with that. Jesus says this sickness won't end in death. Okay, then, Jesus, just, just say the word. And then notice also, this is just like the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9, whose life of misery was so that the glory of God could be put on display. Would you keep that in mind for just a moment? This sickness, and frankly, even his death, was to put the glory of God on display. That'll mess with your theology. Don't miss Jesus' interchanges the glory of the Father with the glory of the Son. This is a constant theme throughout the Gospel of John. The glory of the Father and the glory of the Son are mutually shared. Now, anyway, we, we're, we're kind of expecting a miracle at this point, a miracle at any moment. In, in fact, we get to verse 5, and John tells us that uh, Jesus loved uh, Martha and, and Mary and Lazarus. Well, of course he's going to do something. At this point, everything is, is, is proceeding quite normally. If you've read about Jesus' other miracles, you, you'd expect another one is about to take place uh, about now. <laughs> it's time, but it doesn't doesn't. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he then stayed two days, lo two days longer. W what is up with that? What are you doing? Uh, please catch the very important wording. Note that verse 6 follows verses 4 and 5, doing a little math for you, and it starts with a conjunction. This sickness will bring about the glory of God and the Son, and He loved uh, this family, so He stayed away. I mean, you would think that it would be because He loved this family, He went. Not so. It, isn't that what we expect? If God loves me, He will show up right now. Here's a very important point. We know how this story ends. But at this point, the sisters did not know. Lazarus does not know. No doubt, as the first couple of days went by, Mary and, and Martha and sick Lazarus were waiting, perhaps going to the door looking for him, or maybe the messenger to come back to tell him everything's going to be all right, waiting for Jesus to show up and do something. After all, he loved them, didn't he? And they just, they just let him know what uh, their need was, didn't they? So, so where was God? Where was God? It may have seemed to them like God was absent, asleep at the switch. God, what are you doing? You, you love me, don't you? I asked, didn't I? What are you doing? Where are you? Have you ever experienced that? 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and so I have a need, a rather serious need. So like the Bible says, I make my request known to God, and, and nothing happens. Where are you, God? D- don't you know what's going on? I know you've got a lot of things, important, more important things to do, like running the universe, but have you heard me? Don't you care? Why don't you show up? This story tells us that God, in fact, does know, and He does care. He loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. The word is agape. It's a deep and strong love. But in the midst of that love, and I would suggest because of that love and His love for the glory of God, Lazarus was not only sick, he was going to die. Yes, Jesus said this sickness would not end in death, and it didn't. We know that it's not the end of the story, and it is not the end of your story either. That's the point. The sisters were going to experience the grief of what we might call a premature death and the wonderful experience of a funeral. In the meantime, where was Jesus? Again, have you ever done that? Faced an unexpected premature death of a loved one? Wondered where God was? Everybody has the why question. Some of us are just too spiritual to ask it. We find in this story, death is never forever. Not for followers of Jesus. You see, only God can reconcile His own glory and our own good and His love for us and our joy in such a way that it all works out in the end, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand. Pastor Kent Hughes says it this way, you ever felt that way? Where were you, Lord? You came too late. Where were you when my loved one died? Where were you when my marriage dissolved? Where were you when my parents divorced? Where were you when my father became an alcoholic? Where were you when my child went astray? And we wonder if God cares. John 11 elevates our perspective and tells us that no matter how things appear, these inexplicable delays are delays of love. The truth is only God is sovereign, only God is omniscient, and only God is omnipotent, and only God is good. So we may question, that's what the sisters did, but in the end, they, having questioned, and we, must trust. Based on the truth of God's Word, God knows what He's doing. Think about it. Don't you suppose that Lazarus' sickness and even his death were just a bit uncomfortable, (laughs) a bit of a trial? Don't you suppose his sisters felt deep grief and pain and sorrow? Don't you suppose it was worth it for, for a display of the glory of the Father and the Son? The same is true for you. Jesus loved them. And for His own glory, He was bringing them to full faith through this rather amazing miracle. And I, and I must give you a further truth here. This 
story is not a promise that God will raise us individually from every sickness and every death. But it is a picture of the promise that He is the resurrection and the life, and one day we will all be raised to life eternal. This is the promise of Easter. Our sins can be forgiven, and we will one day be raised to life. Jesus waited two days, likely in His omniscience, knowing when Lazarus would die. Then He said, let's go to Judea, now's the time. Not when Mary and Martha or even Lazarus thought it was time. That's interesting. When Jesus thought it was time, He said, let's go. I would suggest to you that Jesus is seldom early, but He is never late, even though it may seem so to us. Let's go to Judea. The disciples, of course, are aghast. Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you, and you're going back. The, the, the ministry here is going great. You, you're doing miracles. The people are believing just like they're supposed to. Why, why would you place yourself at risk and, and return to Judea? Because as you read through the Gospel of John, you find it saying over and over, now was not his time. Now, was not. now it was time. And Jesus was in control of his own death. Jesus' answer is basically this. Uh, while it is still light during the 12 hours of the day, while I'm here and I, before I return to heaven, we must walk. We must work. We must do the work while we can. At night, we cannot walk without stumbling. At night, we can no longer work. Now is the time. Let's go. Then Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus, has fallen asleep. Now, we know that Lazarus has died, but, but please notice how Jesus refers to it as sleep. It is one of the great truths of the Christian faith. People around the world, perhaps even some of you, have always feared death. It is always viewed with this great terror, with this great horror. But with the coming of Christ, it could now be viewed as sleeping. It is, after all, the last enemy to be destroyed. Jesus brought hope such that the New Testament speaks of believers dying as sleeping. They don't get it. Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. The, the, the disciples think, well, if he's, sleeping, if he's sick and sleeping, that would be good. So Jesus then tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. Think about it. What, what good what would one more healing do at this point? In a few days, they're going to desert because they don't have it figured out yet. What good is one more healing going to do? I am glad for your sake that I can put the glory of the Father and the Son on display so that you may believe. That's the purpose of the book. That, that's the ultimate purpose of the story. It's the purpose of my sermon this morning so that you'll believe. At this point, Thomas, you know him as Doubting Thomas, <laughs> speaks up and says, let, let, let's also go so that we may die with him. And now, there are two ways to look at that. One is he's living up to his reputation, doubting they would survive, or you could look at it as a man who would follow Jesus anywhere, even to his death. Perhaps we're just a bit too hard on doubting Thomas, which brings us to the second point very quickly, the meeting with Martha, verses 17 to 27. Look at it with me. 
So when Jesus came, he found that he, uh, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them and concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. (laughs) Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Look what she says. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who has come into the world. What an incredibly important passage, one that is rightly and often read at funeral services. Jesus sets out for Bethany. When the messenger came, Lazarus was still sick. Jesus waited intentionally for two days until he knew Lazarus was dead. Then he said, let's go on this journey, however long it took. Uh, Why did he wait? Well, Interesting, there was a commonly held belief at this time that the soul hung around the body for three days after someone died, hoping to return to the body. But once the body began to change, that is, decompose, the soul would leave. So just to make sure that Lazarus was really dead, so no one could say, well, he just resuscitated him. He wasn't really dead. He was just mostly dead. Jesus waited so there could be no doubt. Now, of course, we understand the soul doesn't hang around, but Jesus waited so they would know that Lazarus was irrevocably dead. Even the other stories, uh, uh, from the other stories of the sisters, it, it appears that this, this was a family of some means. Again, she takes that perfume, a year's worth, and pours it on Jesus' feet. Many come from Jerusalem to pay their respects and mourn with the sisters. In fact, it was customary at this time, I find this humorous, to hire mourners. You would hire at least two flautists or two flutists and one professional mourner for a funeral just to make sure there was appropriate mourning. How would you like that on your business card? Professional mourner. The official mourning would last for seven days. The family would mourn for 30. Remember, until Jesus' death was a time of great mourning. All that to say, there were lots of people at Mary and Martha's home. Martha hears that Jesus has finally arrived, so she goes out to meet him. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Perhaps true. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, I don't think that this was meant to be either accusatory or even anticipatory. She's not laying the blame at Jesus' feet. She's upset. You ever been upset? Lord, I don't understand. If you had been here, my faith in you tells me that he would still be alive. But I still believe, I still believe God gives you whatever you ask. My faith in you has not wavered. There's a lesson there. She's not asking him to raise Lazarus from the dead. Else she would not have argued with him later when Jesus asked for the stone to be removed. She's distraught expressing both her pain and her sorrow and her continued faith in Jesus, which I would suggest is the way we go to God in our pain. 
Lord, I don't, I don't get this, but I still believe. Cry out, but then trust. So Jesus said to her, your brother will arise again. Now, again, if she were expecting an immediate a miracle, an immediate resurrection, she would have said, great, let's go to the tomb. She didn't. She said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Don't miss this. She is expressing orthodox faith in what Jesus had said earlier. You see, earlier in this book, he said, there's coming a day when all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth. I believe that. I, I believe you, Jesus. I, I believe what, there's coming a day. He's going to hear it and come out. But we know the rest of the story. Jesus is moving her and us, frankly, beyond orthodox belief to personal faith. Would you please understand that? It is not enough for you to just believe the right things. You must have personal trust in Jesus. He has something else in mind, namely his glory and further proof of his deity. So he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. This is one of the most glorious, hope-filled statements in all of Scripture. It's the truth of Easter. Believe in Jesus, and you will never die. It's also the fifth of the... Uh, uh, of, the, of the seven I am statements in the gospel. I put them on the screen um, for you. All of these are meant to be um, exclusive. He alone is the bread of life. He alone is the light of the world. He alone is the good shepherd. He alone is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this, Martha? It, it's good that you're orthodox. It's good that you be, believe sound doctrine. Do you really believe in me as the resurrection and the life? And I would ask you this morning, do you really believe in Jesus and Jesus alone as the way and the truth and the life? In this important claim, Jesus is saying, I alone offer eternal life to everyone who believes. I want you to understand that eternal life is found nowhere else. And the good news of the gospel is everyone who believes will live, even if he dies. You see, physical death can never affect the life that, that, that I give, Jesus says. He or she will never die. Eternal life, you understand, is forever. And it is for you, for those who believe. He asked Martha, do you believe this? He's drawing out her faith. He's drawing out our faith. And she makes this incredible confession, the same confession that Peter made in Caesarea Philippi some six months before, the same confession the woman at the well made, the same confession the blind man made in the previous chapter, the same confession that is necessary for faith. Are you listening? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who has come into the world. Yes, that's it, Martha. That's the faith that I'm looking for. That's the point of, of this book. That is the point of this passage. Jesus is simply going to prove it, which means we move quickly, very quickly to the last two points. Verse 28 to 32, and we'll see this meeting with Mary. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here 
and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supporting that, uh, supposing that she was going to the tomb uh, to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to, them, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Not much to add at this particular point. Jesus asks for Mary. She comes out to see him. The difference in Mary and Martha's personality is seen once again. Mary falls at Jesus' feet, a position of trust and submission. And she says the same thing that, that Martha said, evidencing her orthodox faith. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, I, I don't get this but she's at his feet. I, I don't get this, but I trust in you. It shows the depth and the grief, uh, uh, the depth of grief and heightens the expectation for something to happen. Which brings us to that something in verses 33 to 44, our fourth point. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the, Jesus, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man in the previous chapter have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The first few verses here are a bit challenging to understand, and our translations actually don't help. Both verses 33 and 38 say that Jesus was deeply moved within. Verse 33 says He was troubled. We read that and think, well, isn't that sweet? Jesus felt compassion for those weeping over the death of Lazarus. And then verse 35 says that even Jesus Himself wept, the first verse that everybody memorizes. The word, though, there is different from mourning. It simply describes tears running down his cheeks. There's no doubt that he felt sorrow and pain and even compassion. We get that, but really, what is going on here? You need to understand. A better translation would be Jesus was perturbed and troubled, which makes more sense. He was perturbed. 
a little bit irritated at their lack of faith, at their sorrow, which was devoid of hope. He had come to offer hope, and no one seemed to get it. So when one among them died, all they could think of was their personal misery, and it irritated him. It's true that he also wept, wept because Lazarus died, doubtful since he was getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wept because of sin and what it brought, death. He wept because of their lack of faith and their lack of hope. He wept because of the brokenness of this world. Perhaps gives us a different perspective on the way that we as followers of Jesus face death. So he asks them where they had laid Lazarus. They take him to the tomb. It was a cave with a uh, blue sign hanging around the out. No, I'm just kidding about that. There was a stone lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, not expecting a miracle, said, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He's beyond hope. The soul is gone. Besides, there's going to be a foul stench by now. You don't really want to see him. To which Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's the question for you today. He sums up their conversation, the glory of God will be seen in the resurrection of the dead. So they removed the stone and Jesus prayed. Interesting prayer. It was to his father, but but more for the benefit of those around. He prayed so that they would know the relationship that he had with his father and that they would believe that God had indeed sent him. It was further proof of who Jesus was. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. It has been suggested that he said Lazarus, calling him by name to identify specifically who he was talking to. Because he, if he had just said, come forth, and everyone in the tombs thereabouts would have obeyed the voice of the Son of God and come out. I don't know if that's true or not, but I kind of like it because there is coming a day when all those who are in the grave will hear his voice and come out. This man who had been who had died and been dead for four years, meaning he was really dead, came out. This is a promise of that to come. He was bound in the traditional burial method like Jesus would be in a few days, wrapped from shoulder to feet with spices to diminish the smell of decay, separate cloth for the head. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go, which is interesting. Why did Lazarus need to be unbound? Why didn't he just come out like Jesus did and leave the grave closed behind? Because his was only a bodily resurrection to the same physical body that he had before. He had not yet received his glorified body, hence, or, or else he would still be around. Meaning, he could not pass through the cloth or through locked doors like Jesus. Meaning, he would die again, but it will not matter now. Everyone who believes in Jesus will live again, even if he dies. The truth of Easter. And so the picture was complete. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and all who believe in Him will live even if He dies, and everyone who uh, lives and believes in Him will never die, not eternally, but have eternal life. It is His crucifixion, burial, and resurrection which assures our future hope. So I finish 
with John chapter 20, the purpose of the gospel of John, the purpose of my message today. Listen very carefully. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this particular book. But these have been written, these seven miracles, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. My question for you this morning is, have you believed in Jesus as the Son of God? Are you trusting Him for the forgiveness of your sins and for life eternal?